more you have. You are now tuned in to Hawkins Rays. We just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's going on, Far, Far Away family? How is everyone doing? I hope all is well on your side of the galaxy. Same old thing out here on the Outer Rim. The Empire is conquering and the people are rebelling. I got a quick question for everyone. We got a couple of emails that asked if we could do a recap of the last chapter before we go on to the next one. Is that something that you guys would like us to do? It would be short and right to the point. You know, John questioned the lion captors from Rusan. Then he became Farfalla's new apprentice. Then it killed Artana and her entire crew. Then stole the ship and flew to Onderon. Very quick and right to the point. Email us at sway.audio at gmail.com and let us know what you think. This email will count for the mid-season giveaway. Now let's get to the chapter for the day so we can find out what's happening with Bane and Xana now. Bane could hear the whine of the Valson's engines as the ship sliced through the upper layers of Dexon's atmosphere, protesting as he pushed the vessel to her very limits. Normally, the trip from Rusan to Andoran's oversized moon would have taken a T-class cruiser like the Valson between four and five days. Bane had covered the distance in just over two. Within hours of leaving Rusan and Zana behind, he had been cursed with the return of the almost unbearable headaches. And with them had come an unwanted and most unwelcome companion. The spectral shade of Lord Khan loomed over him in the cockpit for the entire first day of the trip, a visible manifestation of the damage Bane's mind had suffered from the thought bomb. The spirit never spoke, merely watched him with its accusatory gaze, a constant presence on the edges of Bane's awareness. The ghostly apparition had driven Bane to adopt an irresponsible, even dangerous pace for the journey. He had pushed the Valsen far beyond the recommended safety parameters, as if part of him was trying to use the speed of the ship to outrun his own madness. He was desperate to reach Duxon so he could find the tomb of Freedon Nad and hopefully discover some way to rid himself of the torturous hallucinations. Khan had disappeared toward the end of the first day of his journey only to be replaced by an even worse visitation. It wasn't the founder of the Brotherhood of Darkness that hovered beside him now, but Cordis, the former head of the Sith Academy on Korriban. Pale and semi-translucent, the figure was otherwise an almost perfect replica of what the Sith Lord had looked like at the time of their final meeting, when Bane had killed him. Tall and gaunt, Cortis had skeletal features that seemed more at home on a spirit than they ever had on a being of flesh and blood. Unlike Khan, however, Cortis actually spoke to him, spewing forth an endless litany of blame, denouncing everything Bane had accomplished. You betrayed us, the Phantom said, extending a long, thin finger topped with a talon-like nail. Bane didn't need to look at it to know the finger would be adorned with the heavy bejeweled rings Cordis had worn in life. You destroyed the Brotherhood. You brought victory to the Jedi. And now you flee the scene like a craven thief in the night. I'm not a coward, Bane thought. There was no point in voicing the words aloud. The vision was all in his mind. Speaking with it would only be a sign that his mental condition was further deteriorating. I did what had to be done. The Brotherhood was an abomination. They had to be destroyed. 
the brotherhood had knowledge of the dark side, wisdom that is lost forever because of you. Bane was growing weary of the all-too-familiar refrain. He'd had this conversation with himself before he decided to destroy Khan and his followers, and now he was reliving it again and again through the delusions of his wounded mind. Yet he refused to allow any doubts or uncertainties to weaken his resolve. He had done what was necessary. The Brotherhood had lost its way. They had fallen from the true path of the dark side. All the study and training quarters put prospective students through at the academy was worthless. If that was true, the apparition countered, answering his unspoken arguments. Then how do you explain your current mission? You claim to reject my teachings, yet I was the one who discovered the location of Freedom Nat lost to. You didn't discover anything. You're just an hallucination. And Cordus may have stumbled on this information, but he didn't know what to do with it. A true Sith Master would have left Rusan to seek out Nat's tomb. Instead, he decided to stay and help Khan play army with the Jedi. Excuses and justifications, the spirit replied. Khan was a warrior, but you would rather hide from your enemies than fight them. Bane gritted his teeth as the Valsen hit the turbulence of Duxin's heavy cloud cover. The ship was still going too fast, forcing him to clutch the steering yoke so hard to keep his craft on course that his knuckles turned white. He heard the creaks and groans as the overstressed hull sliced through the thick atmosphere. You betrayed us, Cordis said again. Bane swore under his breath, doing his best to ignore the ramblings of the image conjured up by his own mind. How many times had he heard this exact conversation in the past day? Fifty? A hundred? It was like listening to a busted hollow projector repeating the same message over and over. You destroyed the Brotherhood. You brought victory to the Jedi. And now you flee the scene like a craven thief in the night. Shut up! Darth Bane screamed, no longer able to contain his rage. You're not even real! He lashed out with the force, releasing an explosion of dark side energy inside the cockpit, determined to blast the offending vision into oblivion. Cordis did vanish, but Bane's victory was short-lived. Emergency lights began flashing inside the ship, accompanied by the shrill whooping of a critical failure alarm. The ship's console had been fried by the burst of power he'd unleashed. Cursing Cordis and his own reckless display of emotion, Bane began a desperate struggle to somehow bring the vessel in for a safe landing. From all around him, he could hear the ghostly, mocking laughter of Cordis. The Valson was in free form plummeting straight down toward Duxon's heavily forested surface. Bane yanked back on the yoke with all the strength of his massive frame, managing to redirect the ship into a shallower angle of approach. But if he didn't find some way to decelerate, it wasn't going to matter. He punched at the controls, trying to restart the engine thrusters with one hand, while the other still struggled to keep the yoke steady. Getting no response, he closed his eyes and reached out with the force, digging deep into the burned-out circuits and melted wires of the ship. His mind raced through the labyrinth of electronics that controlled all the Valsen systems, reassembling and rerouting them to find a configuration that would restore power to the dead ignition switch. 
His first attempt resulted in a shower of sparks shooting up from the control panel, but his second effort was rewarded with the roar of the thrusters coming to life. Bane managed to get the engines into full reverse, only a few hundred meters above Duxon's surface. The ship's descent slowed, but didn't even come close to stopping. A split second before the Valsen slammed into the forest below, Bane wrapped himself in the force, creating a protective cocoon he could only hope would be strong enough to survive the unavoidable collision. The Valsen hit the treetops at a 45-degree angle. The landing gear sheared off on impact, tearing loose with a thunderous crack. Wide gashes appeared in the sides of the ship, the hull hurtling into thick branches and boughs with enough force to tear through the reinforced sheets of metal and peel them away from their frame. Inside the cockpit, Bane was flung against walls and ceiling. He was spun, tossed, and slammed against the sides of the cockpit as the vessel careened through the trees. Even the force couldn't fully shield him from the devastating crash. As the ship carved a kilometer-long swath of burned and broken foliage before slamming into the soft, muddy ground of a swamp and finally coming to rest. For several seconds, Bane didn't move. His ship had been reduced to a smoking pile of scrap. But miraculously, he had survived. Saved by the dark side energies enveloping his form. He hadn't escaped unscathed, however. His body was covered with painful bruises and contusions, his face and hands cut from fragments of shattered glass that had pierced his protective cocoon. His right bicep was bleeding heavily from a deep five-centimeter gash. His left shoulder had been dislocated, and two ribs were broken. But neither had punctured a lung. His right knee was already swelling up, but there didn't seem to be any cartilage or ligament damage and he tasted blood in his mouth, oozing from the gap where two of his teeth had been knocked out. Fortunately, none of his wounds was life-threatening. Bane rose to his feet slowly, favoring his injured knee. What was left of the Valsin had come to rest on her side, turning everything in the cockpit at a disorienting 90-degree angle. Moving gingerly, Bane made his way to the emergency exit hatch, his left arm dangling all but useless from his side. Given the ship's position, her exit hatch was now above him, facing the sky. Strong as he was, Bane knew he wouldn't be able to pull himself to freedom with only one good arm. But Jedi might have been able to use the Force to heal his wounds. But Bane was a student of the dark side. Even if his ability to call upon the Force hadn't been temporarily exhausted in surviving the crash, healing was not a skill the Sith were familiar with. Before he became a Sith Master, however, Bane had served as a soldier, where he had received basic medical field training. The Valsen was equipped with an emergency med pack under the pilot seat. Inside it were healing stims he could use to treat the worst of his injuries. But when he made his way over to look under the seat, the kit was gone. Realizing it must have jarred loose during the crash, he rummaged around the cockpit until he found it. The outside of the kit was dented and slightly bent, but otherwise it appeared undamaged. It took him three tries to open the latch with only one good hand. When he finally succeeded, he was relieved to see that several of the health stims had survived intact. He removed one and injected it directly into his thigh. Within seconds, he could feel his body's own natural healing properties beginning to kick into overdrive in response to the healing shot. The blood flowing from his cuts began to clot. 
more important, the shot helped dull the pain from his swollen knee and broken ribs, allowing him to walk and breathe more freely. His dislocated shoulder, however, required more direct treatment. Grabbing his injured left wrist with his right hand and gritting his teeth against the pain, Bane pulled with all his might, hoping the shoulder would pop back into place. Thanks to his size and strength, he'd been recruited more than a few times by field medics to help re-socket the dislocated limbs of fellow soldiers during his military days. A simple procedure. It required a tremendous amount of torque to work effectively. And Bane soon discovered he simply couldn't get the leverage he needed to perform the maneuver on himself. Grunting and sweating from his exertions, he realized he'd have to take more extreme measures. Lowering himself to a sitting position on the floor, he stretched forward and bent his knees so he could grip the wrist of his injured arm securely between his ankles. He took a deep breath, then thrust his leg straight while throwing his torso backward. He screamed as the shoulder snapped back into the socket with an audible pop. The sudden jolt of pain was excruciating. It took every bit of strength he had left to keep from passing out. As it was, he simply lay on his back, pale and shivering from the ordeal. He was rewarded a few seconds later by the pins and needles of sensation rapidly being restored to the fingers of his left hand. A few minutes and another healing injection later, he was able to use both arms to haul himself up through the exit hatch and clamber down the side of the Valson's wreckage to stand, battered but not beaten, on Duxon's surface. This chapter starts off with Bane. He is headed to Freedon Nas tomb on Duxon. But he is still seeing these hallucinations, and now he can hear the voice of Cortis. And in his head, he is arguing with this spirit. This is causing him to fly the ship recklessly. By this point, he is already headed into Duxon's atmosphere. He is not paying any attention to what is going on. How in the world is he supposed to pay attention when some ghost is blaming him for the fall of the Sith? It is getting so annoying that Blaine blasted with the dark side. Now, this wasn't a great idea. You can't blast something that isn't there. Remember, this is just a fragment of Bane's imagination. So he really just blasted the ship. The ship that is now out of control and plummeting toward Duxon's surface. This is not one of Bane's best decisions. So now he's fighting to get control. Everything on the ship is fried and unresponsive. So he uses the force to race through the ship's wiring to find a problem and reroute them. This is when the ship fires back to life. But at this point, it's too late. He's going to crash. So he wraps himself in the force right as the ship strikes the treetops. The impact just rips the ship apart, flinging Bane like a rag doll inside. He was bouncing all over the cockpit. Kids, this is why you should wear your seatbelt. If he was wearing his seatbelt, he would not be getting flung everywhere. Even the force couldn't protect him from the impact. But the ship does finally come to a stop in a marsh. Now the ship is demolished. He has no way to get off the world. He is beaten up and wounded from the crash. The force kept him from dying but it did not keep him from getting hurt. And from the description, he is really messed up and the dark side doesn't help with healing. But before he became a Sith, he was a soldier in the Sith army. So he has a little bit of field medic training. Nothing major, just the minor stuff. The one big problem was his dislocated shoulder. It takes a good amount of force to relocate some of the shoulder. I know this from experience. But after a few of the healing shots and a whole lot of pain relocating his shoulder, he was able to get out the ship. He wasn't surprised to find Cordis waiting there for him. Your flat name, the spirit mocked. Your ship is destroyed beyond all hope of repair. You won't find another vessel here. There are no intelligent or civilized creatures on Duxon. And you can't wait for a rescue party. Nobody knew you were coming here. 
not even your apprentice. Bane didn't bother replying, but instead made a final check of his gear. He'd grabbed a pack of basic supplies from the ship and strapped it to his back. It contained food rations, glow rods, a handful of health stems, and a simple hunting blade that he slid into his boot. The pack and its contents, plus the lightsaber dangling at his belt, were the only things worth salvaging from the wreckage. The jungles of Daxin are filled with deadly predators, the spirit continued. They will stalk you day and night, and the moment you let your guard down, they will strike. And even if you survive the terrors of the jungle, how are you going to get off this world? There is no escape, the ghostly court is taunted. You will die here, Bane. It's Darth Bane, the big man said with a grim smile. And I'm not dead yet, unlike you. The reply seemed to satisfy whatever part of his subconscious was conjuring up the image because Cordis abruptly disappeared. With the distraction gone, Bane was free to examine his environment more closely. The thick forest canopy above blocked out most light. Even though it was midday, he found himself bathed in twilight. Still, he didn't need his eyes to see clearly. Reaching out with the force, he took closer stock of his surroundings. He was in the very heart of the forest. The trees went on for hundreds of kilometers in every direction. And as he probed the surrounding foliage for signs of life, he realized that the apparition had been right about one thing. The forests of Duxin teemed with a host of deadly and voracious beasts. Bane wondered how long it would be before one of the jungle denizens decided to figure out where he fit in on the food chain. Yet he wasn't afraid. Even before Nad's tomb had been hidden here, the ancient Sith had been drawn to Duxon. The Jedi had condemned it as a place of evil, but Bane recognized it for what it really was, a world infused with the power of the dark side. He felt strong here, rejuvenated. Though he was smart enough to understand that the creatures prowling the wilderness would be drawing on that same power. And then his mental explorations came across what he was looking for. Many kilometers away, he sensed a concentration of power. He'd located the source of the dark side energy that permeated the forest around him, radiating power like a beacon emitting a homing signal. It had to be Nad's tomb. And now that he was here, Darth Bane felt the place calling to him. Leaving the wreckage of the Valsen behind, he made his way toward the source. He marched in a perfectly straight line, taking the most direct route possible to his destination, using his lightsaber to hack and hew a path through the thick undergrowth that barred his well. Keeping one corner of his mind focused on following the route to Nad's tomb, Bane focused the rest of his awareness into a state of hypervigilance. As in most forest ecosystems, the creatures that had evolved on Duxin were masters of their environment. More than a few had quite likely developed the ability to camouflage themselves, blending not only into the branches and trees, but into the ever-present hum of the dark side that hung over the forest as well. Even with his caution, Bane was almost caught unawares when the attack came. An enormous feline creature dropped down from above, silent, save for the faint hiss of its forepaws slashing the air where its prey's throat had been a mere second before. Bane had sensed the beast at the last possible instant, 
his force awareness, giving him a precognitive warning that allowed him to duck clear of the lethal claws. Even so, the massive body of the beast slammed into Bane, sending him reeling. The Dark Lord of the Sith would have died right there, had the creature not been momentarily stunned by the unexpected failure of its ambush. The beast's confusion gave Bane the second he needed to roll clear of his enemy and fall into a fighting stance. With the beast no longer concealed by Duxon's forest, Bane got his first good look at the thing that had nearly killed him. It studied him with luminous green eyes that were definitely feline, though its fur was a metallic greatcoat flecked with tiny bronze plates that shimmered as the muscles moved beneath the skin. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. It stood a meter and a half at the shoulder, easily weighing 300 kilograms. It had four thick muscular legs that ended in razor-sharp retractable claws. But the feature that drew Bane's immediate attention was the serpentine twin tails, each tipped with a deadly barb that dripped glowing green venom. Bane retreated slowly until his back came up against the gnarled trunk of a tall tree. The nameless monstrosity advanced. Then, with a low growl that made Bane's skin crawl, it leapt at him again, twin tails whipping wildly. Bane lunged to the side, wanting to gauge his opponent's tactics before he engaged it in direct combat. He saw the front claws slashing and flailing through the suddenly empty air, and he watched as the twin tails arced up over the beast's back to stab at the space he'd been standing in a moment before. The barb slammed into the tree Bane had been backed up against with enough force to split the trunk, injecting their corrosive venom into the wood and leaving two smoking black circles. The creature landed on all four feet simultaneously and spun to face Bane again before he had a chance to strike at its unprotected flank. Once more, it began a slow advance. But this time, when it pounced, Bane was ready. The beast acted on instinct. It was a mindless brute that relied on strength and speed to defeat its enemies. Its methods of attack had evolved over countless generations until they were second nature. And it was inevitable it would use the exact same sequence of movements to bring Bane down a second time. It came in high, leading with its claws just as he'd expected. The natural reaction of most prey would be to retreat from those claws by leaping backward, only to be impaled by the deadly barbed tails lashing forward. Bane, however, ducked down under the claws and then stepped up to meet the creature's attack. His lightsaber held high above his head. The blade sliced through the beast's underbelly, carving flesh and sinew and bone. Bane twisted the blade as it ran the length of the creature, redirecting it into a slightly diagonal stroke sure to cleave several vital organs. The move was simple, quick, and deadly. The feline's momentum carried it over Bane's head, and it crashed to the ground behind him. Its body split open from mid-chest all the way to its still-twitching tails. The body shuddered once. The tails went motionless, 
and a milky film spread out to dull its luminous eyes. Bane's heart was pounding from the thrill of combat. He stepped away from the corpse of his defeated foe, adrenaline still pumping through his veins. With a triumphant laugh, he threw his head back and shouted, Is that all you've got, Cordis? Is that the best you can do? He looked around, half hoping to see the ghostly image of his former master materialize. But it wasn't Cordis who appeared to him this time. You, again, Bane said to the spectral image of Lord Khan. What do you want? Khan, as usual, didn't speak. Instead, the figure turned and walked away into the depths of the forest, its incorporeal form passing effortlessly through the branches and undergrowth. It took Bane a second to realize it was headed in the direction of Nad's tomb. So be it, he muttered, using his lightsaber to hack a path in pursuit. His illusory guide stayed with him the rest of the way. Always just far enough ahead that Bane had to struggle to keep up. It took him nearly four hours of slogging through the jungle to reach his destination. A small clearing in the forest, in which no vegetation grew. An irregular pyramid of flat gray metal rose up to a height of 20 meters from the heart of the clearing. Bane stopped at the edge. The ground ahead was nothing but dirt and mud. No living organism could flourish in the shadow of Nad's crypt. Even the plants and trees bordering the clearing were stunted and deformed, corrupted by the dark side power that clung to the remains of the great Sith Master in death. The tomb itself was a disconcerting shape. The walls of the pyramid were set at odd and jarring angles, as if the stone of the crypt had been warped and twisted over the centuries. There was a single entrance to the structure, a door that had once been sealed but looked as if it had been smashed open many centuries earlier by someone seeking the secrets of Nad's final resting place. The ghostly figure of Khan stood by the entrance, beckoning to Bane before disappearing inside. So his feet are finally on Duxon's surface, and the hallucination of Cordis is back. They're reminding Bane that he is stuck there, and no one is coming to rescue him because he didn't tell anybody where he was going, not even his apprentice. Bane just ignores the hallucination as he checks to make sure that he has all of his gear. But I have to say it, hearing Cordis saying the obvious would drive me crazy. He tells Bane about all the creatures that will be stalking him and how he will not survive Duxon. Bane says something that makes the hallucination disappear. At this point, Bane uses the force to check his surroundings. There were a lot of predators out there, but Bane could feel the dark side, so he heads in the direction where it is the strongest. After a short distance, one of those predators attacks him. Bane made quick work of the beast. Then he yells out to Cordis, asking him if that's the best that he could do. I think these hallucinations are driving him crazy. When you start talking to things that aren't there, that's the telltale sign that you're going crazy. He looks around hoping to see Cordis, but he doesn't see the Sith teacher. Now he sees Khan, and Khan is headed in the direction of Nas' tomb. So Bane follows the hallucination all the way there. Then Khan stands by the entrance of the tomb, enticing Bane to go in. Then, like magic, he just disappears. Bane came forward slowly, senses attuned to any traps that might still be lying in wait. His mind flashed back to the ancient tombs in the Valley of the Sith on Korriban. Just before leaving the Academy, he'd ventured into those dark and dangerous crypts in search of guidance. He'd read accounts of Sith spirits appearing to share the secrets of the Dark Side with powerful apprentices who sought them out. But all Bane had found on Korriban was dust and bones. 
He slid the backpack off his shoulder so it wouldn't encumber him. From inside, he took half a dozen glow rods and crammed them into his belt, then left the pack on the ground near the crypt's entrance. The ceiling inside the pyramid was low, and Bane had to duck as he went in. Using a glow rod for illumination, he found himself inside a small antechamber, with passages leading off in three different directions. Choosing the one on the left, he began his explorations. Room by room, he searched the pyramid, finding nothing of value. Several of the chambers showed evidence that another had already been there, and Bane recalled the tales of Exar Kun, a dark Jedi from a time long forgotten, who was also rumored to have located Nad's final resting place. According to the legends, Kuhn had emerged with power beyond his wildest imagining. Yet as Bane continued his fruitless explorations, doubt began to creep into his mind. Was it possible that this crypt, like the ones he'd searched on Korriban, was nothing but an empty, worthless tomb? With mounting frustration, he continued to search, winding his way through the passages until he reached an apparently insignificant chamber, almost buried at the very heart of the temple. Both Khan and Cordis were there waiting for him. They stood a meter apart, each on one side of a small doorway carved in the back wall. The door was only a meter high and was blocked by a tightly fitted slab of black stone, giving Bane hope once more. The stone seemed to have been undisturbed by whoever had been here before him. It was possible no one had found this room, hidden at the end of the twisting maze of passages. Or maybe someone had found it, but had been unable to move the stone slab. It was even possible that the small entrance had once been hidden by the lost arts of Sith sorcery, and the spell obscuring it had gradually faded over the centuries, making it visible only now. Glancing quickly at the twin manifestations on either side of the small doorway, Bane crouched down to examine the slab. Its surface was smooth, and it extended only a few centimeters out from the passage, making it impossible to get a firm grip. Of course, there was one other way to move it. Summoning his strength, Bane reached out with the force and tried to pull the stone toward him. It barely moved. The stone was heavy. But it was more than sheer mass that held it in place. There was something fighting his power, resisting him. Bane took a deep breath and tilted his head from side to side, loudly cracking his neck as he gathered himself for another attempt. This time, he went deep, plunging to the well of power that dwelled within his core. He reached back into his past, dredging up memories buried deep in his subconscious. Memories of his father, Hurst, Memories of the beatings. Memories of the hatred he bore for the man who'd raised him. As he did so, he felt his power building. It started as it always did with a single spark of heat. The spark quickly became a flame, and the flame an inferno. Bane's body trembled with a strain as he fought to contain the power, letting the dark side energy build to a critical mass. He forced himself to endure the unbearable heat as long as he could, then thrust his fist forward, channeling everything inside him toward the stone, blocking him from his destiny. The heavy slab flew across the room and struck the far wall with a heavy thud. A long vertical crack appeared in the wall, though the dark stone block itself was undamaged. Vane dropped to his knees, panting from the exertion. 
He looked up to see the ghostly watchers still keeping their vigil beside the entrance. With a shake of his head, he crawled to the now-open doorway and peered in. The room beyond was dark, so Bane pulled one of the glow rods from his belt and tossed it through the opening. It landed on the floor, illuminating the room. From what he could see, it was a circular, high-ceilinged chamber about five meters in diameter. A stone pedestal stood in the very center. Atop it was a small crystal pyramid, Bane instantly recognized as a Sith holocron. The ancient masters of the dark side had used holocrons to store all their wisdom, knowledge, and secrets. A holocron could contain ancient rituals of devastating power or the keys to unlocking the magics of ancient Sith sorcerers or even avatars that simulated the personality of the Holocron's original creator. The information inside was so valuable that for many centuries, Holocrons had been the single most valuable tool in passing on the legacy of the great Sith Lords to future generations. Unfortunately, the art of making Sith Holocrons had been lost several millennia past. And over the years, the Jedi had scoured the galaxy to find all the known Sith holocrons, then hidden them away at their library on Coruscant so no one could delve into their forbidden knowledge. To actually find a holocron like this, one that might contain the teachings of Freedom Mad himself, was good fortune beyond anything Bane had even imagined. Crouching down, he squeezed his massive shoulders through the tight doorway. Not surprisingly, Khan and Cordis were already waiting for him inside. Bane glanced over at them, then up at the five-meter-high ceiling. By the light of the glow rod, he could make out movement, as if a carpet of living creatures was crawling across the surface above his head. He stood motionless, his ears picking up wet, slurping sounds. As his eyes became accustomed to the dim light, he was able to make out a colony of strange crustaceans clinging to the roof. They were almost flat and somewhat oval in shape, a circular shell that tapered to a point near either end. They varied in size, from slightly smaller than a fist to as broad across as a large dinner plate, and their coloring ranged from bronze to a reddish gold. The slurping came as they dragged themselves along the ceiling crawling over one another and leaving glistening trails of slime in their wake. As he studied them, one of the creatures fell away from the others and dropped down toward him. Bane swatted it aside disdainfully with one hand, sending its hard shell bouncing and skittering across the cavern floor. A second later, another broke free and tumbled down. Bane ignited his lightsaber and slashed at it. The blow batted the creature away, sending it flipping end over end into a far corner of the room. Bane stared in amazement. The lightsaber should have sliced the creature clean through, but his weapon hadn't even left a scratch on its hard, gleaming shell. Suddenly realizing he was in grave danger, Bane made a lunge for the holocron. As his hand closed around it, the colony of crustaceans broke free en masse and cascaded down on him in a chitinous swarm. 
With one hand clutching the holocron, he swiped at them with his lightsaber and deflected others with the power of the Force. But there were too many to keep them all at bay. It was like trying to ward off raindrops in a storm. One struck him on the shoulder and latched on, instantly burning through his armor and clothing with an acidic secretion before fastening itself to his skin. Bane felt a thousand tiny teeth burrowing into the thick meat of his back, followed by the searing pain of the acid secretion melting his flesh. He screamed and slammed his back up against the wall, hoping to jar the creature loose, but it held fast. As he struggled to dislodge it, a second struck him square in the chest. He screamed again as the burning acid and tiny teeth dug through clothes, skin, and even his thick pectoral muscles to fasten directly to his breastbone. Bane staggered under the onslaught of pain, but managed to strike out with the force. The rest of the creatures were sent hurtling away from him like leaves swept up by a fierce wind. They clacked and clattered as they struck the walls of the room. The brief reprieve gave Bane a chance to drop to his knees and scamper through the cramped opening and back into the small room from which he'd originally entered. Ignoring the agony of the two creatures still attached to him, he reached out with the force and hoisted the stone block on the far side of the room up into the air. His powers were enhanced by both pain and a desperate urgency, and the block moved easily for him this time, flying across the chamber to plug the entrance before any more of the strange crustaceans could scuttle out after him. For a second, he just lay there panting, clutching the holocron and trying to ignore the pain coming from the two parasitic organisms feeding on his body. He could hear the rest of the colony on the other side of the wall, the wet gurgles of their grasping mouths mingling with the sharp clacking of their hard shells as they crawled up the walls back to their roosts on the ceiling. He imagined he heard another sound as well, the harsh mocking laughter of Cordis and Khan echoing off the walls of Freedom Mad's tomb. Okay, so Bane enters the tomb, and like most of the other tombs that he had visited, it looks like someone had already been there. He remembers reading about Exar Kun finding Nas' tomb, and then he came out with great power. That and not finding anything, Bane starts to have doubt about his search. But he keeps on going, until he comes up to a chamber in the center of the tomb. Cordis and Connor are both right there. That right there would have been enough for me to leave. Hallucination or not, it's a trap. But they were standing by a giant stone, and Bane knew that the treasure of the tomb was behind that stone. So he uses the force to move the stone. Then he sees the holocron in the middle of the room. He entered the door and noticed that the ceiling was moving. Now this is just creepy. It was some type of crustacean slowly moving around up there. That would have been enough right there to make me leave. Then one of them fell towards him. Bane batted it away with the lightsaber. But he noticed that it did not cut through the shell. This is when Bane knew he was in trouble. So he broke for the holocron. And as soon as he grabbed it, the entire colony of crustaceans fell. He used the force in his lightsaber to fight them off. But there were too many of them. One of them landed on his shoulders and another one on his chest. They used some type of acid to burn right through his armor. Then they used their teeth to attach to him. He finally got out of the room and he used the force to move the slab back in front of the entrance. 
Then he laid there striving in pain. But he could swear he could hear Cordis and Khan just laughing in the background. And that's where the chapter came to an end. I think this was a really good chapter. There was some action and some suspense, but I really want to know what these crustacean things are and what they're doing to Bane. But I guess we won't find out till we get to the next chapter. But right now, we need to get to the quote of the week. And it comes to us from Anthony Robbins. He said, if you talk about it, it's a dream. If you envision it, it's a possibility. But if you schedule it, it's real. Don't ever let yourself just talk about an idea. If you have an idea and it's a good idea, act upon that idea. Work towards making that idea into something real. Never talk about your idea to people. Some people might steal your idea and use it to get rich. And that's something that you don't ever want to happen. Here's the process. Come up with an idea, plan out your idea, then execute your idea. No matter the outcome, you are in control of your idea. Okay, let's wrap it up for this week. We will see you next week as we cover Chapter 8. May the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.